Good morning. So have you ever asked yourself questions such as these at various points in your life? Who am I? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Do I belong? Am I significant? Why am I here? Does my life count for anything? Do I have value and worth? And these questions that we may ask ourselves at various times are questions of identity. And we hear lots of uh, things about that word identity today, especially when it comes to identity theft, which is on the rise. When we ask these identity-seeking questions, what we really want to know is what defines us? What makes us who we are? We all have an identity at some level. We all have a name. We all have a birth date. We all have a social insurance number. I assume most of us do, if you're over 16, I think is the age. And that's how the government of Canada identifies us, as well as our name and birth date. We have a bank account number. We have a debit and credit card number. But even a number or a name or a birth date don't really tell us much about ourselves. They don't answer the questions that I just asked. I truly believe that the majority of people in our, our country today are really uh, driven by this question of identity. They may not realize it. They probably don't realize that's what they're doing, but I think most people are on a quest to define themselves. The problem is that most Canadians are defining themselves by ways that don't have lasting value or bringing contentment or joy or peace or meaning to their lives. People are seeking their identity in their jobs, their possessions, their education, their accomplishments, their family heritage, their power and influence, whether for good or for bad, the size of their bank account or portfolios, who they know, what others think of them, peer pressure, their health, their looks, their youth, and on and on the list goes. But do these things really answer the question, who am I? The sad thing about this cultural quest for identity is that most of the things that people use to identify themselves with are temporal things. That means that they don't last. You might find your identity in your job, but what happens when you lose your job? You might find your identity in your finances, but what happens if you lose some of your finances? And if you're trying to put your identity in your youth and your looks, well, good luck with that. And that might last when you're 25, 35, maybe even 45, but I am here to tell you there is an age when everything starts to go south and bags, drags, sags, and wrinkles, and no amount of Botox or cosmetic surgery is going to help. Might, might you know, ease off for a while, but it really isn't going to help. So if these things are not answering the question, who am I, then, then what is it that defines us? Is there something that we can identify with that is not temporal, but is lasting so that our identity is secure? And the answer, and the good news is, yes, there is. It's not something we identify with, but rather someone that we identify with, and that someone is Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we have been given an identity that is found in him and cannot be lost. It's eternal. So what is this identity that we have that we can't lose? <clears throat> 
Well, to answer that question, I want us to look at our scripture reading this morning, which is coming from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. You're invited to follow along in your pew Bibles or your Bible or your devices. And this uh, letter is written by the Apostle Paul. And we're starting at verse 3 in chapter 1. And this is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. <clears throat> in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first, first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glorious to the praise of his glory. And I always just feel after reading that passage that all I know to say is wow, how great is our God. This is an amazing passage of scripture. So as followers of Jesus, it's not what we do, but who we know that defines us. And this passage I just read is called a doxology. It's a prayer of praise to God for what he has done in Christ for us. And it's all a gift of his glorious grace. And this passage, along with many others in scriptures, in scripture, sorry, answers those identity-seeking questions such as, who am I? Am I loved and accepted? Am I significant? Do I belong? Why am I here? Do I have value and worth? Our identity in Christ is what God says about us. He has given us a new identity in his son. It is a gift that we are to receive and to live from. So who are we according to God? And I'm going to warn you, this is a, a, fast, a fast race through this passage of scripture because it's, it's got so much in it and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm only got so much time. So buckle in and, and listen carefully. You can always find it on the, on the um, YouTube thingy there. So anyway, okay. So who are we according to God? Well, first of all, we are blessed in Christ. We are in Christ. It's all about him, by the way. This has nothing to do with us. It's all about him. We are in Christ, and in Christ is the union we have with him. Every 
true believer has an intimate, spiritual, living union with Christ. When we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we were united with him. We're in him. He's in us. Uh, Jesus himself did a great job of illustrating this with the, the um, example of the vine and branches from John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We, the branches, are connected to Christ, the vine. His life flows in and through us as we look to him and trust him and depend on him to live this life that he has given to us. We have his spiritual eternal life in us because of our union with him. And this is why we are blessed in Christ. Number two, we are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. And this is the one that just boggles my mind. Before God created anything, even before there was a little star in the sky or anything, long before creation, he chose us, human beings, to be his people. He chose us in Christ. He loved us then, and he chose us. God does the choosing. We don't. God chose us out of his love. And why did he choose us? To be holy and blameless. And holy in this context means to be set apart. God set us apart for himself and for his purposes, not ours, his purposes. And because he chose us, we now live our lives for him and his purposes. We live our lives the way he wants us to live them. And now he is continually at work within us, changing us, transforming us to be more like Jesus in character and purpose. Number three, and I love all of them, but I especially love this one. We are adopted. If you've ever felt like you don't belong, that you don't know if anybody ever loved you, was my birth a mistake? Well, here it is clearly stated, no. You were created because God wanted you to be on this earth. And if you have given your life and, and uh, trust and faith to Jesus, you are now God's child. God has adopted us into his family of believers. We are now his children, his precious children. I love what John 3, 1 says, and it, and it, uh, it was in the song we sang. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Our identity in Christ is both an individual and corporate identity. And the, all these questions I referred to earlier about seeking identity refer to the church, not just us as individuals. We are the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of God. And God calls us, his children, his family, for him and his purposes and to love him and one another with a sacrificial kind of love, wanting the best for each other, no matter what. And he wants us to love those who don't yet know Christ. That is the mission we have, the purpose we have. Okay, we're heading on now to number four. We are redeemed. And to be redeemed, that's probably a word we don't think of too much anymore. But in Paul's day, which was a culture that had a huge uh, uh, slavery population, huge slave population, to be redeemed in Paul's day was to pay a price to set a slave free from slavery. 
And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us through his atoning death. He has redeemed us from slavery to sin. The price he paid was the most costly ever, his blood, his life. We are now free from the power of sin. Sin only has power over followers of Jesus if we allow it. We don't have to sin. We can actually live for more than two minutes without sinning. But we are also forgiven. We were all born into this world, separated from from God, guilty because of the sin nature we all had. Jesus took our sin on the cross. He bore the penalty and the punishment that we all deserved so that we might be forgiven. We are completely and forever forgiven, and God will never hold our sin against us again. Okay, we're heading on to number five. Who are we? Number five says, we are lavished with his grace. I just love that word, lavished. In this whole passage, as I've said, is a prayer of praise to God for what he has done in Christ for us. But everything he has done for us is by his grace. We didn't deserve any of it. We couldn't do any of it. We couldn't work for any of it. It's all his grace. And Paul's, Paul says God's grace is so great, so abundant, so rich, that he lavishes it on us. And I looked up the word in the dictionary, and some words that they use um, to define lavish are profuse, generously extravagant, bountiful, super abundant. It's like God cannot stop pouring his grace on us. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And I just would say this today, please don't misunderstand grace. I've met too many Christians who think that grace is just something you need for salvation. And yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but grace is God's continuous gift to us to enable us to live this Christian life. Everything about our personal relationship with Jesus is because of God's amazing grace. His grace is abundantly available at all times for us for everything about the life we now live in Christ. Number six, God loves us so much that he revealed to us his glorious plan for the future. One day, human history will come to an end. And the whole universe is going to be united under Christ and his sovereign rule and reign. And God has promised that everything will be made right and everything will be made new in Christ. There will be a new earth and a new heaven where we who truly know Jesus will live in perfect harmony with with him and each other for all eternity. This is our hope. And this is why we need to work as the family of God to be sure that we are reflecting God's love and his grace and his mercy to this fallen, broken world in which we live so that they too can share in that wonderful hope. Number seven, we get what we are promised. I had a hard time uh, defining that one, but that's as close as I could get. Not only does God reveal his plan to us, as I just mentioned, but everything promised in that plan, everything promised by God in his word to us, including our our inheritance, is reality. God is trustworthy and faithful. If he promises it, we have it. What is our inheritance? 
Our salvation will be complete one day. We are already saved, but we are still being saved, and one day we will be completely saved. We will no longer struggle with sin and death and Satan and suffering. We will be whole and complete in Christ for all eternity. And number eight, we are sealed. How do we know for absolute certain that God will be faithful to his promises? that we will get our inheritance, that we really have that eternal home one day, that is our hope. Well, Paul writes that when we believed by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. He is our deposit, our guarantee that God's plan and purposes will be completely fulfilled, including the promise that one day his kingdom will fully come and everything that was lost at the fall at the Garden of Eden will be fully restored. God the Spirit dwells in each one who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. He helps us to live this new life we now have in Christ. He is our guarantee that God is faithful and will, and will fulfill all he has promised. So those are the eight things that describe uh, what our identity in Christ is. And I just want to assure you that this is not a complete list. There are many other things in, in Scripture that talk about who we are in Christ. And, and if you're feeling really keen, you might want to go on an adventure seeking uh, hike through Scripture someday and see what else it says about, about you. So all of these identity-seeking questions that I asked earlier are answered in this passage. We discover here who we are in Christ. We have an identity in him. Our identity is what God says about us. Our identity is what God thinks about us. And who are we? We are children of God, blessed beyond measure in Christ, unconditionally loved and accepted, chosen for him and his purposes, set free from the bondage of sin, forgiven, lavished with grace. We have a hope for the future in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We're significant and valuable and worthy, not because of anything we've done, but because, what, of, because of what God has done for us in Christ. We live our lives now for God, for the praise of his glory. We live according to his purposes, not ours. We are here because God chose us even before he created us to have a personal relationship with him. We belong to him now. We have been bought at an incredible price, the blood of Christ. So I just want to quickly say, so what does that mean in the whole scheme of things today in 2023? What does this passage in Ephesians mean for us today? What difference does it make that we have an identity in Christ? Well, first of all, we are for the praise of his glory. This whole passage is about praise. And three times Paul says, we are for the praise of his glory. Our greatest purpose in life is to bring praise and thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he has done for us. Our response to understanding who we are in Christ, our identity, is to praise and thank God regularly for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And I know I repeated that, but I think it's worth repeating. If you don't do this now, if praising God and thanking him is not a regular part of your life right now, I st 
strongly encourage you to begin. And you can start with something very simple but very effective. If you take just maybe five minutes every day and write down three things that you are thankful for, no matter what's going on in your life, three things. And when you are finished, then you say to God, thank you, God, and praise him for who he is and, and what he's like and thank him for how he has given you those three blessings. Or you can read the Psalms. There are many passages that speak of praising God, and there are, you can use those words there and pray those Psalms. Um, praising God on a regular basis changes our lives. It changes the focus from me to him. And he has given us this, this new identity in Christ. It is a gift from him, and we need to praise and thank him for it. The second thing I would say that we can take away from all of this is that we need to take unity seriously. As I just mentioned, this is not just about us as individuals. This is about the church of Jesus Christ. This is our identity. And Paul said we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And he writes that in Ephesians 4. We're, we're God's family, and we're called to love him and one another. And unity is not about always being in perfect agreement all the time. I can't remember the man's name at the moment, but he said, if we're not agreeing on everything, then we need to learn to agree to disagree agreeably. Very wise thing there. There's no place in the family of God for grumbling and complaining and criticizing and judging and condemning one another. By the way, when you point your finger at somebody, how many fingers are pointing back at you? Anybody know? Three? Oh, uh, Kim says four. Yeah, include your thumb. That's good. Three or four. It works. <laughs> but the point is, when we find the need to point fingers, there's always those three fingers are telling us there's something going on in our lives. I know God had to teach that to me and has had to teach that to me many a time. But there's, the thing is that when we don't love one another, when we're finding fault with others, it dishonors God and it has spiritual consequences for Christ's church. We have an enemy, and, and the enemy is Satan. And you know what Satan wants more than anything else? He wants to see the body of Christ destroyed. And his two greatest weapons are deception and division. And unfortunately, he's been doing a fine job with many of our churches, it seems. That's why we need to stand firm in Christ. We need to be alert. We need to take our issues to God. Uh, we need to submit to him and resist the devil, as James says. You know, we're, we're humans. We're not always going to see eye to eye. We're going to have struggles and issues and concerns with one another. But the thing is this. God has put in his word everything we need to deal with issues and concerns and frustrations and conflicts with one another. And we are ultimately to go to him with everything. You know, there's an old hymn, you, probably some of you know, it's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there's a line in there that is so, so powerful. It says, take everything to God in prayer. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. If you've got a problem with somebody, then go to God. I'm not a big fan of Joyce Meyer, but I do like what she said about this. Go to the throne before you go to the phone. And she's talking about you go to God before you pick up your phone and start calling people and talking about somebody. God wants to help us. And we 
at the end of the day, may just have to leave our struggles and issues in God's hand, hands and ask him to help us to love others and to forgive. See, we not only have an identity in Christ, but we have a mission from him, as I have already alluded to. We are to be the light and the hope to this world in which we live. They need Jesus just as much as we needed Jesus before we knew him. And if we're just in here squabbling and fussing, they're saying, why would I want to have anything to do with them? I can get that at home. Jesus said we, they'll know his disciples by the love we have for one another. So I would just say this, God has his hand on this church. I believe it with all my heart. I wouldn't be here if that weren't the case. And we need to move together, forward. We need to move forward together in unity with Christ and put to death in Jesus' name anything that would hold us back. And lastly, and very quickly, what does it mean? Why this identity in Christ? What does it mean for us? I would just say this. We have this identity in Christ, whether you know it, whether you want to believe it, or when you want to ignore it, doesn't change the fact. God has already given it to us. We have it. We need to live out of our identity that we have in Christ. No matter how we feel, what's happened to us, what our circumstances are, what others say about us, we need to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Just a quick example, for years I struggled with a, a root of rejection, a, a fear of failure and a rejection, and God had to work with me through this. It was spiritual warfare, it's what it was. But now when those feelings of rejection, oh, this person's rejecting, no God, but your word says you never reject me because I'm your child, I'm loved by you, you have a purpose and plan for me. And it turns around my thinking. I don't have to live out of those old lies that I used to tell myself. Now I live out of the truth of who I am in Christ. And we all need to, to learn how to do that. So how does God see us? We're his beloved children, bought by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Our identity in Christ is a gift from God, and there's nothing we can do to work for it or earn it. We can't lose it. We simply accept it by faith and with thanks and praise and live the life God has for us. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, how can we even begin to praise you and thank you for how great you are? When we read this passage of scripture and we just see uh, phrase upon phrase upon phrase of what you have done for us in Christ, it just is so incredibly awesome. And God, we thank you today for this incredible identity that you have given us in your son. God, I pray for this church now that, Lord, we truly would get our eyes fixed on you. We pray, God, that you would bring a deep healing into the hearts of those who need it, a deep spiritual and emotional healing, that you would teach us how to love one another, that you would send a spirit of humility and repentance and forgiveness among this church that we truly can look to you and, and anticipate the great things you have for us. Help us to seek you and the plans and purposes you have for us as this body, this family, as we move forward, as we reflect your love and your grace and your mercy to this fallen and broken world in which we live. We thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>